Good morning. It's good to be talking to you all. Um, as Neil says, we've been going through our series on a spirit-shaped life, looking at the fruits of the spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Now, if you've been coming every week, you probably know Galatians 5 and can quote it off the top of your head now, which is a good thing. But if you're visiting this morning or if you've been away for a lot of the summer, you know, Neil or you know, some of the others, uh, no, then let me just refresh your mind on what we were talking about. Galatians 5, starting at verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So we've worked our way through, and we've come this morning to gentleness. Now, the Oxford Dictionary gives us a good starting point on gentleness. It says, having or showing a mild, kind, or tender temperament or character. Having or showing a mild, kind, or tender temperament or character. Now, we all know and have an understanding of the word gentleness, but hopefully we've all acted gently, uh, we've all experienced gentleness. And very often, when we think of gentleness, we can think of babies and nice and warm, fuzzy feelings. And that leads, in a way, to a bit of a misconception in the culture that we think gentleness is also linked to weakness. But gentleness is nothing to do with weakness whatsoever. In fact, it takes quite a lot of strength to be able to show gentleness and have a mild, kind or tender temperament or character. And as we look around the world and look through nature, we see great examples of things that are very strong and powerful, but also have the ability to be gentle. If you think of animals such as elephants that are huge, great creatures, and we're all used to seeing pictures of elephants with their trunk picking up tree trunks and bashing over cars and all sorts of things. We also, if you ever went to the circus, you see elephants very gently doing all sorts of tricks and painting with a paintbrush that they can hold in the trunk. And so even though they're powerful, they can still display gentleness. As humans, we have the ability to do some terrible things, but we also have that ability to show gentleness. I remember the first time I brought Daniel, our first son, home from hospital and trying to get him dressed into one of those baby vests that should have been on the Krypton Factor. Do you know what I mean? And you were so gentle, weren't you? And you had, they sort of ended up with his, his arm and his head there and his leg and his arm there. But you wanted to be so gentle the way you sort of bent his arms. Can you say that? It's about you. you bent his arms into the right shape. Yeah, it's like confession this, isn't it? I remember it's, it's, it's about three weeks in, sort of at four o'clock in the morning with two days without sleep. It's less a display of gentleness, isn't it? It's more like a Formula One pit crew, isn't it? It's like down, nappy, down, 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 clear, gone, in bed. But we start out being gentle, not wanting to hurt or damage this small baby. And then if we look at an even bigger picture and we see the world and the planet that we live in, this huge universe that's being created. I remember trying to explain to Daniel again when he was only four or five about how big the universe was and that God created this huge universe and how massive it was. And we stood outside and there were stars and he said, Dad, how many stars are there? I said, Daniel, I don't know. Even scientists don't know. To which he looked at me and said, why don't they look on the internet and find out? <laughs> A great uh, credit there to our internet generation that's growing up. But we see this huge, and it is vast, 
the whole universe, you know, to get from one side of our area of space to the other in, the, in our little galaxy, we have to travel up millions of miles per hour for hundreds of thousands of years. And the universe goes on, it's so huge. And the God that we serve, the Bible says, all he had to do was speak. And that whole universe came into being. How massive and awesome and powerful is the God that we serve. Yet we all know he deals with each one of us so gently. And now we're starting to get a bit of a glimpse of what this word gentleness means in Galatians 5. The, the, the word in Greek, in the original text, is praetis. If my Greek pronunciation isn't quite right, then please forgive me. I'm not a Greek scholar in any way, but fortunately people are, and they tell us what this word actually means that it meant in the original text. There's no direct translation for it. In our Bible, it's translated as either gentleness, sometimes meekness. But the description that they give us is, it is that temper of the spirit in which we accept his, that's God's dealings with us, as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. To submit one's strength in a posture of meekness, to accept God's judgment regarding a situation. That's what the original word means in Galatians 5 when it talks about gentleness as a fruit of the spirit. It's not just talking about the way that we act and we treat people, that we're gentle. It's talking much more about our, the way that we submit our lives to God, the way that we're in relationship with the Spirit. We accept God's view of the circumstances and the situations that are around us, that we submit ourselves to God, and out of that flows a way that we deal with people. It's so much more than just the English language would have us, uh, the English diction would demonstrate. It was best explained to me, is when they train a horse. That's a horse there from, um, we, when we were on holiday a few weeks ago, that's a horse from Hook Norton Brewery. And the horse still works uh, three days a week. They load up a big cart full of all the beers and ales and the horse pulls the cart around the village. That horse is huge when you stand next to it. Absolutely massive, powerful animal. But when they train it, like with all horses, they put that bit in its mouth. And so the rider or the driver can steer that horse and guide it as to where it should go. Whatever happens, whatever it has to deal with, the rider's there and can take all that power and all the potential of that animal and steer it in the right direction and guide it to fulfill what the owner or the rider wants it to do. And that kind of gives us an idea of what this praetus, gentleness word means. It's the, our submission to God and the Holy Spirit guiding us in the way that we act and that we deal with people around us. And you know, it's quite a counterculture concept because what we're saying is, it's not about what I want, it's about what God wants. It's not about my view of the circumstance and situation, it's about his view. It takes us away from being selfish and doing what we want to get the results that we want and puts our focus more on understanding what God wants and God has planned for us. And so this morning I want to look at a story in John 8 in the New Testament it's a story that helps us apply this gentleness and understand the need for this gentleness to be in our lives. And as Rich said last week, for us to be proactive in, in helping this gentle, the Holy Spirit work and create this gentleness within us. We're looking at John 8, starting to read at verse 2. It's a story you'll know very well. It's where Jesus has to deal with the lady brought to him who's, been, who's committed adultery. John 8, verse 2, it says... At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, that's Jesus, where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. 
the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, of, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is out sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Here we see a brilliant example of Jesus acting with gentleness and concern and compassion for someone. And we see a great example of the Pharisees and the religious leaders who demonstrated no gentleness in the way that they dealt with this lady that had been brought in front of them. It was a situation that Jesus was being tested, and we're going to look at how Jesus was being tested, because it says there they were purposely trying to use this lady to trap Jesus and to find a basis for accusing him and putting him on trial. And so, to help us just apply the gentleness that Jesus does in his response when he deals with the situation, I want to look at when it was, what was the circumstances that Jesus found himself in, the situation that he had to show gentleness. Who is it that he shows gentleness towards? And then why is it so important that Jesus reacted in the way that he did? So when we start the story, we give, have a brilliant picture of Jesus. I love the way it's described, that he's in the temple courts and that the people have all come around. It gives me a picture of Jesus sat there, surrounded by walls and by people. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders decide that this is a great moment to try and trap Jesus, to try and corner him, to try and put him under pressure. And they bring this lady before him. They know that Jesus doesn't want the lady stone. They already know that, but they're using it to try and trap him. So they say, Moses says that under the law, this lady should be stoned. They know Jesus doesn't want to do that, but they're trying to catch Jesus between two places of what he knows, what they know he wants to do, and what the law says, just so that they can try and catch him out, so that they can try and build a story against him. It says they were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis of accusing him. Have you ever found yourself in that position? We do, don't we? Every day we find ourselves in difficult positions. Maybe when we're being tested, maybe when someone is purposely trying to stitch us or we find ourselves under the pressure of life. We live in a world where constantly we're under pressure. We're having to react and having to deal with circumstances. And that's why we're looking this morning at the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just about me being trying to be nice to people. Because what happens is when we find ourselves un, in, under, in that moment of pressure when our reaction really counts, if it's just about me trying to do it in my own strength, that's when it all goes wrong. See, if my life was like this, it wouldn't be a problem. If I wake up tomorrow to beautiful sunshine, I turn and kiss Claire and float out of bed singing songs, hymns and spiritual songs, I float downstairs where I find my two perfect children have got dressed, completed their homework, and are sat at the breakfast table waiting for us to have a leisurely family breakfast where we'll discuss our hopes and dreams and ambitions for the day. I get in my car and drive down perfectly clear traffic-free roads to arrive at work where my colleagues are ready for us to work together to unite 
thrilled at the challenges that we can face as we make the community a better place. I float home where we have another meal and we share testimonies as a family of how God has used us and how we have transformed the world around us. See, I could probably, in my own strength, be nice to people on a day like that. Sadly, my day is probably more like I'll wake up tomorrow and realise I'm 40 minutes, I've overslept by 40 minutes. I turn and blame Claire for not setting the alarm. She blames me. We start an argument. We have to leave that argument because the kids are downstairs trying to kill each other over the last available bowl of Cocoa Pops. And I deal with that and run out. Sit in traffic and realise while I'm sat in traffic, the notes are needed for the meeting that I spent all last night preparing I've left at home. I arrive, my colleagues are not, are not happy because I'm two hours and so the day goes on. In my own strength, by the time I arrive at work, if someone says something to me, it's going to be like lighting a firework, let me tell you. Now hopefully, our days aren't as bad as that and hopefully, well, hopefully your days are as good as the first one. If they are, please come and see me afterwards. But somewhere in the middle is our day and we face challenges, don't we? We find times when we're under pressure. We find times where situations seem to get on us. And it's, that's where it's so important that our lives and our relationship with God is, is, is fresh, that we're submitting our lives, we're accepting God's view of the circumstance. How does Jesus react? Well, Jesus could see what was going on. He could see that they were trying to set him up. He could see the circumstance that he found himself in. And Jesus could have answered in a million different ways. He could have accused the Pharisees because he was in trouble. He could have told the woman, you know, what on earth were you doing? What were you thinking? But we see Jesus reacts with gentleness. He doesn't duck the situation. He deals with the situation. But prayer to us, when we read it, said to accept God's judgment regarding the situation. And to my mind, dealing with difficult circumstances in life is about accepting God's view of the circumstance that we find ourselves in and not ours. You see, just looking at it in the natural, Jesus was in a bit of a, a, a tight corner. They got him cornered. They, were trying, they got this accusation. But Jesus doesn't see a problem. He sees God's view of the situation. He sees an opportunity to restore a lady. He sees an opportunity to correct bad behaviour. And he does that with complete and utter gentleness because he sees God's view of the circumstances. When should this gentleness be displayed in our lives? Well, we all know it should be all the time. But particularly counts when we're under pressure, when life is difficult, and when things go wrong. That's when our relationship with God being fresh and being current stands us in good stead for that moment in time when we have to deal with the difficult situations. The next thing that's interesting to look at is who Jesus is dealing with. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So we've got, I've got three groups of people. The first one is the woman herself. Now, when you read this story, she's a bit of a victim here as well because she's treated with such a lack of gentleness, such a lack of concern. But the Bible says she'd been brought in and she had committed adultery. If what the Pharisees were saying true, she was in the wrong. She'd done wrong. What her actions could have brought her and upset to her family, other families, it could have caused a problem. She was in the wrong. Yet Jesus still was looking for an opportunity to help and restore and show and demonstrate that gentleness. You know, we're often quick and happy to show gentleness and kindness to the victims, aren't we? Or to someone that's being hurt or to someone that's struggling. Are we as keen to show gentleness, true gentleness, to someone who's actually created a problem or who's actually hurt somebody else? 
not just the victims, but Jesus was all prepared to show gentleness to those who've done wrong. He didn't let her off the hook, and he told her that she had to go, and she had to sin no more, but he was still prepared to show gentleness to someone who'd done wrong. The second one was the religious leaders, those who are against us. You know, I work with my brother now, and there's generally just the two of us, so it's very rare that there's someone against me at work. If it, there is, it's going to be a pretty miserable day because there's only two of us there. But, you know, we all, when I used to work in an office, there was a guy who was always looking to catch someone else out. He was always looking to get himself that one step up the ladder by, you know, causing problems for other people. And Jesus has people here who are just trying to score points against him. They're just purposely setting out to catch him out and to trick him. Yet again, Jesus doesn't start shouting at them. He doesn't start telling them, you're just doing this to cause problems. You don't care about this lady. You don't care about the law. You're just trying to trick me. You're just trying to trap me. He challenges them by saying, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. He doesn't even tell them they're sinners. He just gives them an opportunity to look at their own heart and their own mind. And also the third group, those who don't help, the crowd that was sat around. Now, I, I just wonder what Jesus thought of those, because the people had turned up to listen to him. They were sort of on his side at first. And then when all this starts to happen, the crowd don't defend Jesus. The crowd almost become party to what was going on, because they're, they're almost in judgment with the stones to judge this lady. And I wonder, in the natural, how we would feel about that. You know, it's, it's hard, isn't it, when people that we think are for us turn out to be against us or people that we think should step up and help us, don't. Those who want to judge us or gossip about us. But you know, it doesn't matter where the people come in the category or how we feel about them. We said it's, Priotus is about accepting God's view of the circumstances and the situations. It's also about accepting God's view of the people around us. I had a, a pastor, he's long since retired now, called Jim Bowler. And he used to say, he said, the problem with church is that we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge everybody else by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge everybody else by their actions. If I do something that causes a big upset here today, my defence will be, I was only trying to help. I was only trying to make things better. But then when I see you do something wrong, I say, she's only doing that to upset me. She's, only, she's doing that on purpose. She doesn't care. She's done that on purpose. We judge everybody else by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. But you see, we need to remember if we're accepting God's view of circumstances, God's view of those people around us, even the people that hurt others, God still loves them. Even the people that are against us and cause us problems, God still loves them. Even those people that let us down, God still loves them and cares for them. And we have a responsibility to show gentleness and love to them. Next point is why. Why is it so important that this gentleness is evident in our lives? Why is it so important that our lives are submitted to God, that we're in relationship with him, that we understand his view of the circumstances and the situations? Well, we said earlier that we go to work tomorrow or we go to school or we go somewhere. We don't get to live our lives in isolation. In everyday life, you and I have to react to circumstances and the situations around us. It often amuses me when, 
when there's a big political scandal or where you know, and you, and you see someone come out and they do a press conference, it might be a big politician or it might be a famous football manager, and there's some issue they've got to deal with. And so they come out and they will say, I am now going to read a prepared statement. And you know that they've prepared that. You know that them and their team have been sat up all night checking every word, making sure that every word is correct, making sure that every word makes sense, making sure that nothing that they can say will cause a problem. And so they read this statement. And what's in the prepared statement isn't normally what makes it into the headlines. The headlines normally come after those, last, those four fatal words are said. Are there any questions? And up come the journalists with these questions that they're purposely saying to try and catch the person out or to manipulate the situation. And you see some poor guy standing there, cool as a cucumber when he's doing his, his, his prepared statement. And then it kind of all unravels, doesn't it, as he has to answer the questions. And eventually, he ends up saying something that causes a problem. Because we have to respond each and every day, and our responses are so critical. When I was at college, I was in a debating team. And we used to have these debates on all sorts of subjects. And there was one debate, I can't remember what it was, and it, it ended up with me and this one girl, what I would say was having a passionate debate. What the lecturer actually said was it was a downright argument. And at one point, he stopped me and he said, Steve, you don't need to raise your voice, you've just got to raise the quality of your responses. And you know, what gentleness does is it raises the quality of our response. When we have to deal with circumstances that are difficult or people that are difficult, it raises the quality of our response. Not so that we can win the argument or so that we can beat somebody, but so that we can bring resolution to a problem that maybe needs dealing with. So that we can restore someone, so that we can help someone, so that we can demonstrate God's love. Gentleness raises the quality of our responses. God guides us and the Holy Spirit, just like the horse with a bit in its mouth, helps us deal and navigate our way around circumstances and situations. And that's important because it helps us to keep relationships. You see, this whole thing called church or Christianity or faith is all about relationship. It's about my relationship with God and it's about my relationship with the people around me. It's all about relationship. And relationships, well, they're a bit like bridges. I've got relationships with different people and they're bridges that connect me. I have a relationship with Neil, I have a relationship with John, with Clex, like lots of different bridges going out from me. And those bridges are the, the conduit, the, 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 the paths that our communication and our messages go forwards and backwards over. But the important thing is, with bridges and relationships, is that the bridge has to be strong enough to carry the weight of the message that you're sending. Let me give you an example. If I'm walking down the street and I meet somebody, never met them before in my life, but I notice their shoelace is undone, and I said, oh, excuse me, mate, your shoelace is undone. He says, thank you very much. He ties his shoelace and he goes on his way. The relationship, the bridge between us is that we're both humans and we both know if you walk with your shoelace undone, you're going to trip over. The bridge is very flimsy, but it doesn't matter because the message I'm giving him it's a very light message. I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm not challenging his behavior. I'm just telling him, your shoelace is undone. If I'm walking down the street and I meet someone, and as I get close to them, I said, oh, your breath stinks. They might have smelly breath, and I'll probably go home with a bleeding nose because I'm going to offend them, and they're going to go away upset. Why? Because the, the bridge between us, the relationship, isn't strong enough to carry the weight of the message. What does gentleness do? 
When we deliver a message with gentleness, it lightens the weight of the message and it strengthens the bridge. It helps us to keep relationship. Relationship is so important. John 13 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. As we've gone through our series on the Spirit-shaped life, we've been looking at how the fruits of the Spirit develop and how they grow and how they're important. And I think gentleness is a real key one, particularly for church, when we have to keep relationship, when circumstances and situations change, when we go into our workplace or our family situation, when we have to maintain those relationships, sometimes through difficult times, raising the quality of our response enables us to keep relationship. Gentleness is out of relationship and submission to God, accepting his view of the circumstances and the people around us, that real gentleness can flow. Not weakness, but a real strength of faith and a demonstration of God's love even when we find ourselves in difficult situations. And no matter who we have to deal with, even those people that would be difficult or awkward. And why? Because it raises the quality of our response and it keeps us in relationship.